Well, hello friends and welcome once again. We are next to the St. John River again, and I'm just telling you it's hot already, so let's not linger. We'll start right into this. It's great to have you with us today. And I wanted to start with a question today. Have you ever been in a situation where you were asked to do something by someone, but you actually had no idea what they were asking you to do? You know what I'm talking about. In those situations, we have two choices. We can either fess up and say, I don't have any idea what's going on, or the option it seems like we take more often, we can try to fake it and hope that we'll make it. And I don't really know why we kid ourselves because sometimes we do that and we end up looking foolish. I can remember my first summer job I ever had, I was working at the Delta Brunswick Hotel as a bellman, and there was one night, it was a slow night, and this couple came in, and they wanted it to be known to everybody uh, that they were rich, they had all kinds of money, they were very important, they were also very eccentric. And they requested the suite, they requested that they had all kinds of stuff brought into the suite, and one of the things they wanted was an ottoman. So there were a few of us on the case rounding up all these things for them, and the one guy who was on ottoman duty was not me, I don't know, somebody drew the short straw I guess. This guy does not know what an ottoman is, and apparently none of us did. And so rather than fessing up, he just tries to fake it. And he starts bringing all this random stuff into the room, hoping that he just guesses right. So he's bringing in blankets and pillows, and these guys were not having it. They were incensed, furious. I heard them say more than once, we'll be staying at the Hilton tonight. It was a big threat to us, right? And finally, after a whole bunch of time went by, uh, our guy fesses up and he says to somebody else, do you know what an ottoman is? I don't know what an ottoman is. And the other person looked at him and said, yeah, an ottoman is just a footstool. Stool. These people want a footstool. And so now that he knew what it was, we were able to procure one and we gave it to them and their wrath was subsided and we all lived through the night miraculously. Now, it's hard to do something if we don't know what someone is asking for. A different way of saying that would be we don't know what their will is. We are in a series right now where we're going through the book of Colossians, verse by verse. It's a great little book. And today we are going to talk about God's will. Sometimes it seems like it's hard to know what God's will is, particularly when we're in difficult or high pressure situations. But what we're going to see today is that we can know God's will. And when we know God's will, we can do God's will. And what we're also going to see is that there are benefits and blessings that come from being in the will of God. And by the way, as we're getting into our our text you can turn to Colossians 1 9 I would just clarify in saying that God is not some egomaniac or some lunatic like those people in the hotel he is not some eccentric person who barks orders to make people's lives miserable the fact that God has a will is actually really really good and it's really freeing for us but we're gonna see that as we get into our text so Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 and to get us into this let's only read verse 9 just for right this minute it says and so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so let's start into that. It says, from the day we heard. Well, who's we? Well, we said last week, Paul is the author of this book of Colossians, and he had some others with him, and they are the we. And it says, since we heard. Well, heard what? 
Remember, we closed off last week by saying that these guys, these Christians in Colossae, uh, were overflowing with love in the Spirit. They had a love for God that was welling up in them and spilling out into their treatment of others. And since Paul and his gang heard that this is how things were going, it says, we have not ceased to pray for you. So there's another glimpse of Paul's pastoral heart kicking in for these Christians. He prays, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. So that tells us right there that God has a will. God has a will. And we know what that word means, but just for clarification, to make sure we're all on the same page, here's a few definitions. The will is the faculty by which a person decides on and initiates action. The will is a deliberate or fixed desire or intention. The will is the thing that one desires or ordains. In other words, it's what somebody wants. It's the way they want things done, the way they want things to be. And God has a will. God has a certain way that he wants things done. And you might look at that and say, well, that's egotistical. You know, I want things my way. Well, the thing about God is this, that he is sovereign. He is the king. He is the creator of the ends of the earth and the ruler of them. And as such, it is perfectly good and reasonable. And he has the right to expect that things would be done a certain way. For God, that's all right. And a major thrust for us of being believers in Jesus is that we understand that God's will is more important than ours. We yield our will to His. That's the heart we ought to have, living under the authority and the Lordship of Jesus. So if that's the way things are supposed to be for us, can you imagine how difficult it would be if we didn't know His will? Be like, Jesus, I want to live for you. I just wish you told me what you wanted. That would be kind of a setup for failure for us. That would be very unloving of him, actually, to say, uh, for, for us to say, okay, we're people that genuinely want to serve you and please you and love you and do what you want, but we just have no idea what that is. The good news is God isn't like that. God does show us his will. We don't have to guess. It's possible for us to know exactly what God wants in any situation. It's possible for us to know how He wants things to be done in any situation. And the better news for us is this. God's will is good, and it's good for us. When we truly follow God's will, it actually leads to our own flourishing. So friends, we for sure want to be a people who know God's will and do God's will and experience the blessings and the benefits that come from being in His will. That's my heart for us as a church. Here's a few important things about God's will that you need to know. Number one, it is more important than our will. We kind of hinted at this already. God's will is not secondary. It's not, I'll get everything done that I want to do, and Lord, once that's done, if there's any time left in the day, or if I have energy, or I feel like it, I'll look into maybe doing your will, but even then, I'm not promising anything. That is obviously not how it should be. That is making God an accessory. That's not putting God first. For you math people, that's the wrong order of operations. You might remember Jesus how he, all through his life, was primarily concerned not with his own will, but with the will of the Father. And I think that's manifest in, in no better place than when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember that it was the night before he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed. And it was the night before he was going to endure the cross. So a brutal, horrible, physical death. And accompanied with that was him 
bearing the weight for all of God's wrath for sin. So it was not going to be a pleasant experience for him. And he doesn't want to go through with it. And he prays. He's saying, Lord, if there's any other way we could do this, I would love that. But it's so crucial what he says. He says, and you remember, he says, yet not my will be done, but yours. Jesus is subservient to the Father. He he understands that his will is secondary to the will of the Father. And that's precisely how it ought to be with us, my friends. Listen, you have to understand, you and I still have a will. Like, it's not wrong for us to have that and to want things and to and to expect things or want things a certain way. Like, uh, our will is not totally irrelevant. We can think and wonder about things like, what kind of work do I like to do? That factors in. What kind of hobbies do I enjoy doing? What do I want to have for lunch? That's a major question in my life. Those things are fine, but I'm just saying they're secondary to God's will. His will is more important than our will. Number two about God's will. Much of God's will is in the scriptures. And this is super helpful and super comforting comforting because it means we don't have to guess. He has already told us. If you are a person who is looking for cues and clues about what kind of person God wants you to be, what kind of thing, uh, things that God wants you to be doing, you can open up your Bible and it is full, absolutely full of things, full of examples. Uh, scripture is totally chocked full of it. Much of God's will is in the Bible already. Number three, the Holy Spirit reveals God's will. And this is true in all cases where we're trying to figure out His will, but particularly when the Scriptures don't seem to be giving us a strong indication one way or another. And I don't mean in saying that to imply the Scriptures aren't enough, because they certainly are. They're very sufficient. But there are times where you're in a situation and you're trying to figure out what the Lord wants. And as you take to the Scriptures, you find they're not giving you a whole lot of direction one way or another. It says in John 16, 13, that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. And what that tells me is that if there is truth to be had pertaining to God's will, the Holy Spirit is able to reveal that to me. And this can happen in a number of ways. I could spend all the rest of my time out here uh, telling you all the ways the Holy Spirit might reveal God's will to you. I'll just give you a couple. Uh, sometimes it happens through prayer. Sometimes it happens through wise counsel. Sometimes it happens uh, where the Lord will just impart wisdom to us, or maybe a thought pops into your head. The Spirit does this in a number of ways, but my point is this. If we seek out God's will, the Spirit will reveal it to us. Those of us who are Christians have the Holy Spirit, and that's possible for us. Finally, number four, regarding God's will. Sometimes God lets us choose. And I think this is super cool. And it's a blessing, and it shows God's Father's heart for us. There are times where we're seeking the Lord's will, we're, pre we're presented with a situation, and we're trying to figure it out, and what becomes clear is that God is saying, I just want you to pick this time. And this is a really neat situation, because in those situations, all the options before us are God-honoring, and they're good, and they're healthy, and beneficial, and they're not sinful. They're in line with Scripture, and we've prayed about it, we've sought wise counsel, we've done some thinking about it, and again, in the end, there's no wrong answers because all the options are good and it's a blessing. I'll give you just a short example about that. When Lori and I bought our house, this was the situation that happened to us. We decided we were starting to get kind of the itch, if you will, to get our own space and our own place. And we started looking around. We started saving money. We went to the mortgage broker eventually, and she said, here's what you can afford. And we said, well, we, God wants us to be wise with our money, so let's try to come in like 
well below that if we can. Um, as time went on, we started looking into houses and thinking about things that we wanted and, and asking people that had experience and wisdom in this area. And finally, this particular house uh, became an option for us. And I'll summarize just by saying all the way through the process of that, from the time we first looked at it to the time we got the keys to move in, we were at peace the whole time. Because the more time went by, the more it seemed like the Lord was saying, I just want you guys to pick. If you choose yes, you'll enjoy it. If you choose no, I'll provide something else for you. By the way, we chose yes, and it has been a huge blessing. So anyway, back here in verse 9 in our text, Paul has prayed that these Christians, and us Christians too, would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Because friends, when we know God's will, we know what to do. And when we know what to do and actually do it, we get to experience blessings from that. And obviously that's quite helpful and something we should be seeking after in our lives. And this happens, it says in our text, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the wisdom and understanding of God's will are spiritual matters. Therefore, we look to the Holy Spirit for direction on these things. And remember we said last week, the Holy Spirit, of all the things that he does, he essentially points us to Jesus and empowers us to live for Jesus. So in all things, the Spirit is filling us, empowering us, guiding us, leading us into all truth, giving us wisdom, giving us understanding so that we can know and follow Jesus better. That's what it's all about. And so if you're a Christian, like I said, you have the Holy Spirit in you right now as I speak, and therefore you have all of the resources you need to be able to be filled with godly wisdom and to obtain godly understanding so that you can know the will of God better. And I just say, do you think that might affect your life a little bit? I would say yes. So that's a little bit to get us started about how we can discern God's will in any given situation. And this is something that we need to practice and strive for in our everyday lives. Day by day, decision by decision, sometimes moment by moment, we ought to be seeking to walk in God's will. And what we're going to see now is that when we do this, when we live in accordance with God's will, again, there are benefits and blessings that come from this. And in Colossians 1, we're going to see eight benefits from walking in God's will. Again, this is a assuming that you've sought it out and that you're actually doing it. I want to encourage you with these today. Let's read on in our text. Let's read verses 10 through the start of 12. It says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. When we walk in God's will, number one, we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's what it says in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, when you hear that term walk, that is not necessarily referring to just literally someone walking around. A lot of times in scripture, this is used as a metaphor for the way that you live your life. It's the journey, the ongoing process, the walk. So what this is saying is that when you know God's will and you do God's will in whatever situation in your life, you'll be living your life walking in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. And I want to just stop on this for a second because you might read this wrongly and you might read this and say, okay, this, this is telling me then that I'm not worthy. So what I need to do is try really hard and work really hard and make sure that the way I'm living uh, is enough to make me worthy to God. That is a dangerous game to play and that's the wrong way to read this. Here's the deal. God created you, God loves you, God has a plan for you, 
and God wants a relationship with you. However, though that was the design and function we were supposed to have, we have all, you, me, welcome to church, everybody has sinned, separated ourselves from God, turned away from God, walked from Him. And this sin, this rebellion, this walking away, this choosing to not be in the will of God actually separates us from Him. We're cut off. We're done. And if that weren't bad enough, those, those good things, those benefits, the life we were supposed to live is actually replaced with condemnation and wrath and death. Hornet flew by my head. So that would be a problem if the story stopped there. And that's the situation that all of us are in, in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we are not worthy. In and of ourselves, we cannot stand before God. In and of ourselves, we don't have what it takes. We don't measure up. But here's the thing. Hope you just didn't turn your computer off or your phone off after hearing the first bit of that. God, because of His amazing, incredible love and His mercy, He looked at us and He knew exactly the state we were in, lost in our sin. He looked at us and despite that, He said, you know what? I am saying that you're worth saving anyway. And that says so much about God. That says way more about Him than it says about me. That God would look at me and look at you and that he would say, I love you enough to change the situation you're in, hopeless as it may be. And so God sets a plan in motion so that our sin can be dealt with. He sends Jesus Christ, his son, to come to the earth. Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life and he dies a death on a cross in our place for our sins. The death that we should have died for sin. And Jesus takes all of the weight of God's wrath for sin, my sin and yours, upon himself. And he sacrifices his life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could come into relationship with God. So sin doesn't have to be a dividing wall in between us and God anymore. So now, all we have to do is accept the free gift of grace that he offers. Jesus died for you. If you accept that, if you trust in Him for your salvation, you will be saved, you will enter into relationship with Him and family and fellowship with God. It's amazing. So make no mistake, I speak to you who are Christians now. If you are in Christ, you have been declared worthy by God. Even though in and of yourself, you're not. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to work hard enough or try hard enough. God says you are worthy. And somebody has got to stop living like you're a Christian and some of you are living like you aren't worthy. But God says that you are. So step into that in faith today and start walking in the confidence and, and, and in a life that he has given you. So all of that said, that was a bit of a sidebar. All of that said, what this verse is saying, it's simply this. When we do God's will, we are talking about God's will, by default, when we're in His will, we will be living and acting and walking in a way that is pleasing to Him and honoring to Him, that is worthy of Him, as this verse says. And God's will, friends, listen, it's always honoring to Him. God's will is always in line with His holiness and His worthiness and His character and His perfection. God will never want something for you. It will never be part of His will uh, for something that goes against His character and His nature and His perfection. It's always good for us too, which is amazing. So when we walk in God's will, we walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. The second one is like it. When we walk in God's will, we please God. So it says in verse 10, fully pleasing to Him. When we're in God's will, not only do we just so happen to be living in a way that is worthy of His nature and character, 
in some sort of neutral way perhaps, we actually are pleasing him. There's actually a good thing going on. And I'll have to hit on this again. This pleasing of God, you have to understand, this is not about somehow trying to earn our salvation. It says in Hebrews 11:6 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you're hearing this and you're not a Christian, if you don't belong to Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do or how much you do or how good the stuff that you do is, it will never be enough. It will never be enough to please God. It will never be enough to give you right standing before Him. The pleasing of God comes in after we're saved, once we're saved, not in order to get saved. So this is primarily directed at believers then. Since we are believers, my friends, our goal should be to please the Lord. That should be our heart, to live a life that is honoring to Jesus. After all, He is our Lord. He is our Master. He is our King. He is the one we love. And if you love someone, doesn't it naturally follow that you would want to please them? So the questions then are this, do you love the Lord? Like don't, don't blow by that one. Do you love the Lord today? Do you intentionally seek to please the Lord by the way that you live? Because as brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, as believers, the way that you live does matter. You either are living a life that's pleasing to God or you're not when you're in Christ. Are your actions, your words, your thoughts, etc., pleasing to the Lord? When you walk in God's will, by default, again, you'll be doing what He wants, and therefore, you'll be pleasing Him. It's really that simple. It's not always easy, but the formula is that simple. Number three, when we walk in God's will, we bear fruit. It says, still in verse 10, it says about bearing fruit in every good work. One last time, i got to stop on this just to make sure that you'll hopefully catch this. The bearing fruit in every good work happens as a result of us being saved, not as a means by which to get saved. Once we're saved, that's when we start setting our sights on bearing fruit for the Lord in good works. It says in John 15, 8, I actually read this one last week, that God is glorified when we bear much fruit. So in other words, this is something that God is looking for in our lives. It's something that He wants. It's part of His will for us. And remember, we've talked about fruit before. Fruit is simply the result, the outcome of the things that we do. You reap what you sow. You are what you eat, that kind of thing. So if we do bad things, harmful things, unproductive things, sinful things, foolish things, the consequence, the fruit of that will be that we will, uh, there'll be bad uh, consequences in that, bad fruit in our life. But if we do, conversely, good, positive, healthy, upbuilding, God-honoring things, the fruit will be good. The consequences will be good. Here's what I'm saying. Whoever you are, I don't care who you are, where you're at, what your life is like, your life will bear fruit. Your life will bear fruit. Your actions do have consequences, good or bad. So I'm just saying, particularly for those of us of the, of the household of God, is it not a way better alternative to bear good fruit instead of bad? Part of walking, part of being in God's will and doing what He wants is to be doing good works. And when we do good works in relationship with God, it says we will bear fruit for Him. It's, again, as simple as that. Number four, when we walk in God's will, we increase in our knowledge of God. Just like it says in verse 10, it says about increasing in the knowledge of God. I found this verse this week. I say that like I discovered it, like it wasn't already there. Um, Jeremiah 9, 23, it says, this is God talking. It says, let him who boasts, 
boast in this, that he understands and knows me. The knowledge of God, knowing him and knowing about him, that's profitable for us. John 17, 3 says that this is eternal life, that we know the one true God. And when it comes to God, there is always more to know. There is always more to discover. There is always more to experience. God is so immense and so deep and so vast and so glorious that he will, we will never, ever, ever plumb the depths of him, particularly not in this life. And as we are doing that, as we are continuing uh, to increase in this knowledge, we increase in our growth as believers. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 3.18, and it says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, aka as we see Him truly for who He is, not just when we put up a construct and we're seeing Him like how we want to see Him, when we truly behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed from glory to glory. So the question, my friend, is are you seeking to know the Lord better these days? Like, are you intentionally choosing to pour in and invest and explore Him more? If you think you know enough already, you are more than a little mistaken. There's always more to God. There's always more to know and experience. There's always more growth for us in this area. And what I want you to see, again, is as we grow to know Him more and more, we grow to know His will more and more, and His heart more and more, and His goodness more and more. And this utterly changes the way that we live. What I want to point out is that this is cyclical, what this verse is telling us. The text says that if we're filled with the knowledge of God's will, we will come to know Him better. We'll increase in the knowledge of God. And as we do that, we'll come to know His will better, which will lead us to knowing Him better. And it just goes and it goes and it goes, and it's awesome. When we walk in God's will, we increase in our knowledge of God. Number five, when we walk in God's will, we are strengthened with all power. This will be shocking to you, I know, but this life is difficult sometimes. We have struggles and pain and suffering and sickness and COVID and other things like that. Not only in these seasons of difficulty, but particularly in them, this text says that we can be, verse 11, we can be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Remember, the context here is when we are actively, actually living in God's will. When we walk in God's will, it strengthens us. Isaiah 40, 31 says that they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. Here's the rub with strength and power, though. A lot of times, this is kind of the way it is for us, a lot of times we are conditioned or we choose to believe that we are the power source. And what we're told and what's promoted to us is that when you come into a hard situation or uh, there's an obstacle you need to get through, all we need to do is bear down, look deep within ourselves and just smash through that brick wall. Here's the problem with that. I don't know if you know this, but you don't have all power. You are a finite creature. You have limited energy and resources and capabilities and you can get tired and you can come to the end of yourself. The only one, the only one, friends, who has all power is the God of heaven and earth. He is God Almighty. He is the ruler of the ends of the earth. He is mighty in battle. He is strong to deliver. He is unmatched in strength. There is no one stronger. There is no one more glorious. There is no one greater anywhere, anytime, any place. That's our God. 
and the power that we need and can receive is according to His glorious might. It doesn't depend on you or your circumstance or your background or, heaven forbid, your feelings. It depends on His strength. And my friend, He is rock solid. The old saying is true, it's cliche, but I had to include it. If God brings you to it, He will bring you through it. If God's will for you is X, Y, Z, or whatever, He will surely supply the strength that you need to actually do it. When we walk in God's will, we are strengthened. Number six, when we walk in God's will, we can endure. This one is similar to the last one, but it takes it a step further. There are times in this life where the struggle, the difficulty, uh, the suffering seems prolonged. It seems like there's no relief. It seems like there's no end in sight. I'm sure you've been in a situation like that. And in those seasons, you don't need just a little bit of encouragement. You need a lot of encouragement and a lot of hope. In those seasons, we don't need just a little uh, strength from God, like a little shot of cortisone. We need that strength from God that we've just talked about to last for a prolonged period of time. This text is telling us, still in verse 11, that the power we just talked about is for all endurance with patience. God's strength allows for endurance. Some of the things we deal with in life are not a sprint, but a marathon. I jokingly say sometimes they are a marathon at a sprint pace. But the power from on high that we can receive and that we do receive when we're in God's will allows us to play the long game. It allows us to see the big picture. It allows us to stay strong for the long haul. It also teaches us, like it says here, to be patient. And this is another classic one for us. We oftentimes want what we want when we want it, which is now or before I began this sentence. But the reality, guys, is that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's purposes are loftier than our purposes. And oftentimes, God's timing is different than our timing. So we need patience to learn to trust and depend on the Lord more fully. And here's what I want to tell you. You can still be in God's will, even through incredibly difficult seasons of suffering. What I don't want you to think automatically is, I am not doing well. I wonder what I did to get out of God's will. Sometimes that might be a thing, but I just think of figures in the Bible like Joseph or Job who went through long seasons of suffering completely in accordance with God's will. I don't want you to lose sight of that. When we seek the Lord's will in these hard times and when we're walking in it, we're actually strengthened to endure because without knowing that you're in God's will, listen, when you're low, when you're down, when you are out and you don't know that you're in God's will, it can be really hard to be hopeful. It can be really hard to have godly perspective while you're suffering because oftentimes we see right here, we just see two inches in front of us. We can't see the big picture, but if you seek and choose to walk in God's will, even on the darkest night of the soul, my friend, there is strength in that from the Lord to help you endure. Number seven, when we walk in God's will, we have joy. That's what it says still in verse 11. It talks about doing so with joy. And this is a frequent instruction in the scriptures. Part of God's will is obviously for us to be joyful. Here's a few. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Romans 14.17, the kingdom of God is a matter of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah 8.10 says that the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. You might hear these and go, oh, okay. That means that God's will is for me to be happy. That's cool. I like that. 
That's really not what this is saying though. You've heard it before, but joy is different from happiness. Joy is better than happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. So what happens is if you really set your hope in being happy, you might achieve it for a little while, but then it fades away and you're miserable. So when you're pursuing this, like when your circumstances are good, you're happy and you're good, but then when they change and they're bad, you're unhappy and you're bad. And life becomes this roller coaster of highs and lows and ups and downs and extremes. And that is not what God wants for us. There's no stability. God wants us to be steadfast. But joy, on the other hand, joy is lasting because it is not dependent on our circumstances, but on our Savior. In Christ, we can experience true and lasting joy, regardless of our circumstances. I, I love that, that's so awesome. You don't have to be walking on unsteady ground. You can actually have joy through and in spite of the bad circumstances and the turmoil in the world, of which there seems to be a ton lately, and the things that might try to take the wind right out of your sails. You can do this and have this and experience this by walking with and abiding with Jesus Christ and being in His will. Now, with regard specifically to being joyful because we're walking in God's will, a big part of this joy comes from the realization that when you're in God's will, you understand that He is totally in control and you are exactly where you're supposed to be, doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And it brings peace to know that. It brings rest. It brings comfort. It brings purpose. It brings joy. And I know for me, just to get a little bit personal here, I know for me, some of the biggest periods of struggle that were prolonged in my life um, came during times when I did not know if I was in the right place or doing the right thing. For instance, a couple times I moved to a new city or I started a new job. After a short period of time, I'd get feeling pretty down and I would start to feel, man, did I make a mistake? What am I doing here? Like, what's going on? And that would last for a little while, but I want to tell you something. As I look back on my life and I, I think of those situations, when I prayed about them, when I truly sought the will of the Lord in them, I want to tell you something that 100% of the time, He answered me and He revealed Himself to me. And I'm telling you that immediately when he answered, immediately when he revealed himself to me, I was immediately comforted. I was immediately at peace. I immediately had a sense of purpose and I was immediately filled with just a, an unspeakable kind of a joy from knowing that I was in the right place and doing what God wanted me to be doing. Again, when you walk in God's will, there is a deep abiding joy that comes to us because you know He's in control and you know that you're where you're supposed to be. Finally, number eight, when we walk in God's will, we can be thankful. Verse 12 talks about giving thanks to the Father. Part of God's will for us is to be thankful. That is all throughout the scriptures. But when we forget to do this, or we choose not to do this, we can grow sour and sullied. We can start to think that uh, we are entitled. We start to live like God hasn't done enough for us. We develop a poor attitude. We say, life is so unfair. I wish God would do more for me. And what happens is, we, over time, we become inwardly focused, spoiled brats. That is not full and abundant, joyful life in Christ, nor is that God's will for you. But when we deliberately strive to live a life of thanksgiving to God, it's totally different. 
all of a sudden we become grateful. We become content. We remember our place. We remember, hey, I'm not at the center. That's the Lord Jesus position. I am not first, but he is. We are increasingly satisfied. We have more peace. We have more joy. Are you living a life of thanksgiving to God? In a lot of ways, being thankful is a choice. So will we choose to be thankful or will we choose to be entitled? Additionally, when we walk in God's will, again, when, it, when I talk about it causing us to be thankful, when you step into that place of doing His will, what's going to happen is, when you're, when you're walking that path that He has for you and living the life that He desires for you, you're going to experience all of these things that we have talked about so far. And again, a thankfulness, supernaturally, by the Spirit, is going to start welling up in your heart. And it's amazing, and it changes our perspective, and it changes the way we live. So, these have been eight benefits of walking in God's will. We can see now that the question is not, does God have a will? We know that He does. We know that the question, uh, the question is not, is God's will any good for me? We know that it is. Really and truly, friends, the question comes down to this. Will I choose to seek His will and do His will? That choice is entirely ours. God will not force that on you. The ball is in our court. What I want to do, I have a couple of minutes left here. I want to finish out uh, a couple last verses of our text for today. Uh, let's read from verse 12 to 14. We're to be giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's what I'll say about that. It's part of God's will to do all of that stuff for us. God has, like it says, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. There it is again. Remember, on your own, in your own stock and merit, you're not worthy. You don't measure up. But if you're a believer in Jesus, God says that you are. You have been fully qualified in Christ. And if you're a person who belongs to Jesus, but you have thoughts, hey, I'm not good enough or worth enough or I don't measure up, I got nothing to offer, I'm saying to you, friend, listen to me. God has fully qualified you. Fully fully qualified and we're fully qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light the saints in light are christians all other believers past and present and when it says light in light we remember that jesus said in john 12 8 he said i am the light of the world and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life so the saints in light are believers who walk with jesus in the light of who he is it's that simple he God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. If you are a Christian, that is true for you. Once you were in darkness, you were an enemy of God, destined for hell and for wrath and for condemnation. But God has delivered you. So now we don't belong to the domain of darkness. Satan is not our master. We are not governed by him. That, uh, darkness is not our home or our identity or our destiny. That is not the reality in which we live. Our citizenship, friends, is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. Whoever you are, I don't care where you're at, who you are, you are part of a kingdom. You're either part of the kingdom of darkness or 
where you belong to Jesus and you're a part of his kingdom. And as believers, it's not just that we're not in darkness anymore and we're just neutral. We've been delivered from that and transferred to his kingdom. It's not just that the curse of sin has been taken away. It's been replaced with blessing. It's not just that we're not sentenced to death anymore. We can experience abundant and everlasting life. It's not just that Satan is no longer our master and we're masterless. It's that we now belong to our great King Jesus who loved us and who saved us and who guides us, who secures us, who prepares a place for us, who gives his spirit to us and who lavishes grace upon grace upon grace into our lives. Are you thankful today? Verse 14, in whom, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. If you're a Christian, you have been totally, completely, utterly, and fully redeemed. You have been bought with a price. You have been purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. You have experienced the forgiveness of your sins. You have been given new life. Friends, this should change everything. And in all of this, the credit does not rest on us. You know what I mean? All I did and all you did was throw your hand in the air in need of a life preserver. All the credit goes to Jesus, the one who has saved us. All the credit, all the hype, all the praise, all the honor and all the glory is His forever and ever. Amen. That text today is the prayer that Paul has prayed over the Colossian Christians and indeed over us as well. That we would know the will of God, that we would experience the benefits of being in the will of God, and ultimately that we would live in light of what is a central feature of God's will, that we would be saved from our sins and brought into relationship with Him. If you are not a Christian yet, that is God's will for you, first and foremost. He doesn't want you to clean up your act. He doesn't want you to do this or that. He wants you to become a Christian. Trust in Jesus today. Accept Him for your salvation. Your sins will be forgiven. You will enter into relationship and family and fellowship with God and the life that you were truly created and designed to live. If you want to know more about that, reach out to me. Send us a message. Uh, go to our website. You can see our contact info there. If you are a Christian, let this be a, a reminder, this whole text today, let it be a reminder that we ought to be seeking and striving for God's will at all times and in every situation. Let this be our heart day by day and moment by moment, choice by choice. Our goal should be to please Him, to honor Him, and to glorify Him by being in His will. And like I say, I just have to say it again, when we're in His will, it's the very best for us. So I'm going to wrap up here before I get a sunburn. I love you guys. I love being your pastor. It's an honor and a privilege, and it would be my honor right now. I want to pray over you. Um, I want to kind of rephrase this text a little bit and pray it over us as a church. And, and by extension, if you're not part of the Harbor family, we'll pray it over you too. So wherever you're at, just join with me. Agree with me in prayer. God, I am praying for myself and my brothers and sisters of the harbor and, and for everyone else who's watching or listening. God, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we can walk in a manner that is worthy of the life that you have called us to live so that we can fully please you, so that we can bear fruit in doing good works for you. I'm praying, God, that we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might 
so that we can have endurance and patience and joy. Help us to give thanks to you at all times. You, Lord, the one who has qualified us to, to experience the inheritance of the saints in light. You who has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son, Jesus Christ, in whom we have been fully redeemed and our sins completely forgiven. That is my prayer, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you guys for being with us. Keep following along in this series. I love you and God bless.